0: Alright everybody, welcome to this episode of The Daily Dose on The Compliance Guy. I'm Sean Weiss and as always I want to begin by saying thank you all so much for tuning in, logging on, and just hanging out with me for a little while. Today you may be thinking to yourself, you sound a little bit different. Well, that's because I'm coming to you from a hotel room in Houston, Texas, not my actual studio. But for me, delivering the content on a daily basis is what is most important and I know some of you tell me that you look forward to it each and every single day. Some of you have actually told me that you expect it from me each and every single day. So I hope that you don't mind a little bit of some funky audio sounding uh, quality today but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure I provide you the best content. All right, so today we're talking about incident two services. And before you roll your eyes and go, oh gosh, not again, let me just tell you this. We have to talk about it. Because as long as providers are billing services incident two, there's going to be investigations. There's going to be charges brought against you. There's going to be audits of your services. Folks, these are the most complex billing rules. These are the most problematic. And what I will tell you is just this week, I was in a federal criminal case testifying about incident two services, which were one of the major issues that led to this provider being charged by the government. Now, did the provider get it right? we'll see what the jury says based on my testimony. But what I can tell you is, the prosecution got it completely wrong. And how do I know that? Well, one of the first things that they said to me was, if a provider is not in the office suite and services are being rendered by a non-physician practitioner or another member of the team, that cannot be billed incident two. Well, there's some truth to that, but the other side of that is this. If it's a physician-directed clinic, which is what this was, the treating physician doesn't have to be physically present in the office suite. Any physician that is part of the group can act as the supervising physician. And when I explained chapter 15, section 60, to the prosecutor and to the jury, you could almost see the blood running out of his face because they knew they got it wrong. Well, it's the same thing for providers. No matter how many policies you have, no matter how many times you talk to your providers about it, no matter how many times you audit it, there's no way to get it right every single time. Because as I said, Patients aren't always static from encounter to encounter. And if they present to an established patient visit with a new problem or an exacerbation, that could lead to a change in the plan of care, which means it is no longer an incident to service. So my hopes in the next Few minutes is that I can walk you through the requirements for Incident 2. So let's go ahead and get started. So remember Incident 2 are for the physician office. So the guidelines that we're going to talk about today are as follows. The CMS rules for billing office services as Incident to a Physician Service are going to be summarized. In probably eight to ten elements, examples, key points, whatever you want to refer to them of. But remember, the concept of incident two does not apply to services performed in the hospital environment, which includes inpatient, outpatient, and emergency room hospital locations. Now. Keep in mind there are two ways in which office services may qualify for Incident 2. The first is that the component services are to be performed by a clinical office employee of the physician or non-physician practitioner who is the billing provider. Now employed clinical office staff may perform component functions as part of the billing provider's service, right? so administration of self-administered drugs is a great example the service though has to be and must represent an integral part of the patient's care and it has to be of the type commonly rendered in an office setting the second way is that Full services may be performed and billed incident-to by Medicare-enrolled non-physician practitioners within a group practice that employs both Medicare-enrolled physicians and non-physician practitioners when incident-to requirements are met. Now, in group practice of Medicare-enrolled physicians and NPPs, the NPP can actually perform a service under direct physician supervision, and the service may be billed under the physician's NPI as long as all incident to requirements are met. Now, remember that this rule applies to care for stable, established patients for whom the non-physician practitioner is following a plan of care originally developed by the physician and during which the physician is readily available or immediately available in the office suite for any necessary supervision. And again, when these requirements are not met, the NPP service has to be billed under the NPP's NPI number. All right, now remember, services have to be medically reasonable and necessary, but more importantly, they have to be within the scope of Medicare coverage and the billing provider's scope of practice. Now, services that are not covered by Medicare, right? So massage therapy, count spiritual counseling, these services may not be included as part of a physician service. Remember, physicians may not bill services performed by non-Medicare enrolled physicians or NPPs. And again, providers cannot bill incident to services by employed providers whose scope of practice exceeds their own. So as an example, a podiatric practice can employ a physician, but may not bill the physician services as incident to the podiatrist. And that is such a key point because a podiatrist works under a protocol with a medical doctor. All right, remember incident to concepts apply only in the office setting. So again, we're talking about place of service 11. Now, there is an exception to this rule, and that's when we have home services for a homebound in medically underserved area patients. And you can actually find this in the CMS Internet-only Manual, publication 100-2, and it's in the Medicare Benefit Policy Manual, Chapter 15, Section 60.4b. Now... The term clinic only applies as defined as a physician-owned and operated clinic where providers work together in a large office. Remember, the concept does not apply to hospital or other facility-based clinics. Now, the incident to service has to be, as I said before, an integral, although incidental part of the overall services. So, when services are performed by employees of the provider, they must be on an integral basis and a part of the provider's overall plan of care, as well as being essential to the patient's course of treatment. So, things like obtaining vital signs or administering an injection on the provider's behalf. That's perfect. When a service is performed by a clinical employee without physician participation so a nurse sees the patient for a blood pressure check or review of medication the service can be billed by the physician as cpt code 99211 as long as the physician is present in the office suite during the service and all incident to requirements are met now remember, incident two billing does not apply to new patients or established patients who present with new problems. So critical. So as with all EM services, the rendering provider has to confirm the history of the present illness, since this requires a clinical skill. Now, when the HPI reveals a new problem or new problems, the visit is not able to be billed incident to by the NPP since it requires a potential change to the physician's original plan of care. Now, the visit can be performed and billed by either the physician or the NPP, but it cannot be billed by using the NPP who's billing under the physician's NPI, which means services to new patients or established patients who present with new problems have to be billed using the NPI of the provider who saw the patient on that date. Again, this means that such patients may be seen either by the physician or the MPP within the practice, but that the service can only be billed under that physician's NPI when the physician actually sees the patient. NPPs who see patients in these circumstances have to bill the services as performed by an NPP, which means they're subject to the fee schedule reduction. Now, services to establish patients with no new problems can be provided by NPPs and billed under the NPI of the supervising physician As long as the physician is immediately available in the office suite and the NPP is following the plan of care which is set forth by the physician on the initial visit. Now the record has to reflect an initial physician visit and periodic review as well as oversight by the physician of their initial plan of care as it's administered by the NPP. Again Visits with established patients who are experiencing any new problems requiring an active physician participation cannot be billed on an Incident 2 basis. Now remember, for all patients, it's expected that the physician performs and documents intermittent subsequent services of a frequency that reflects active participation of the course of treatment for the specific problem. Now, incident two billing for services, including medication adjustments, is another area that's so important. Now, listen to this. A physician's initial plan of care can include prescription medications that may require adjustment on subsequent visits. But the need for medication adjustment does not represent a new problem. The visits may be billed by an NPP as incident to the original plan of care when the physician includes that instruction in the original plan. So as an example, I've started the patient on uh, Loristin, 100 milligrams, PO, QD for blood pressure of 160 over 90, and the patient's to return to the office in two weeks for follow-up. The dosage may be adjusted by the nurse practitioner on the follow-up visit. So as long as a physician puts into the original plan of care that a patient's to return to the office and that they may require a medication change, it still falls under the Incident 2 billing guidelines. Now, direct supervision by a physician is required. And as I said, Incident 2 billing requires direct supervision by the supervising physician who must be present in the office suite and immediately available and able to provide assistance and direction throughout the time the service is performed. The supervising physician does not have to be in the same room, but they have to be in the office or clinic suite. Now, again, for group practices, any physician member of the group can provide supervision to non-physician practitioners under incident two guidelines. And the last part that I want to talk about today is documentation, because that's the most critical aspect. Documentation has to support evidence that a supervising physician was present and available the documentation submitted to support billing Incident two services has to clearly link the services of the NPP staff to the services of the supervising physician or supervising physicians. So some examples of an evidence link include things such as, um, while a co-signature of the supervising physician is not required, it is suggested as a means of verifying the physician's availability for oversight. The NPP performing the service can include entries in the note of the identity and credentials of the supervising physician who was available during the visit. And finally, documentation from other dates of service, both initial and subsequent, need to clearly establish a link between the two providers. All right, so in about 17 minutes, we were able to hopefully clear up some of the big misperceptions and provide some clarity for you on Incident Two services. That's gonna bring us to the end of today's Daily Dose. Today is Wednesday, June 22nd of the great year 2022. And as always, thank you all so much tuning in, logging on, and hanging out with me for just a little while. And until tomorrow, be good to yourself, but more importantly, be good to each other. Take care.